All right, we'll go ahead and get started. All right, hopefully you got a handout. Um, so my, uh, my you're, if you're looking at the handout, it's got a lot of information on it. We're going to try to cover it fast enough. Uh, part of my philosophy, some, sometimes, not all the time, my sometimes philosophy on handouts is uh, I, I generally give you probably more information than is visually appealing on there. But my thought is you have the information, right? So you can keep it, you can scan it, you can throw it away, you can make a paper airplane out of it. What you do with it is what up to you, but I just want to make sure you have enough information. Um, and I find that when I'm trying to quote different things and put them side by side, it helps to have them on a handout. So yes, there's a lot on here, but uh, some of that's just because I wanted to give you quotes uh, side by side from Roman Catholic Church and then scripture and things like that. So that is the goal there, but that does make for a busy handout. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the time we have to study, to think. Um, God, we do pray for your help. We pray for um, just humility. We recognize that, um, as you say in, in your word, uh, what do we have that hasn't been given to us? Everything is a gift from you, uh, so we have no reason to boast. And so we recognize that in our salvation. We recognize it in having your word to direct us, to teach us, to give us infallible words from you. And, um, and so we, we're humbled by that. And uh, we pray that it's in this humility that we would uh, correct and uh, critique and guard against errors of uh, even the Roman Catholic Church, and it would all be done out of a desire to glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing looking at uh, what divides Roman Catholics and Protestants. Um, done a couple sessions on that already, so if this is your first time here, you can go back and listen to, to those. Um, we give some caveats at the beginning of the first session, things like that, so if this is your first time here, if you have a Roman Catholic background, our goal, just real briefly, the goal is not to um, just nitpick, the goal is not to um, just fight for the sake of fighting over things, but the goal really is to say, um, we want to know what God has said, and so we, we when we have differences that are significant, um, we, we can't pretend like they're not there. That's not loving to be untruthful, right? So truth and love go together, and so that's really been the goal of this study. Um, and the desire is to help us better be equipped to communicate those differences so that the true gospel would go forward. So uh, Protestant Reformation, uh, we, we've talked a little bit about this, but you're, if, we, if we were to summarize really the main issues between Protestants and Roman Catholics, one place you could go is what we call the five solas. So in the Reformation, throughout the Reformation period, these, these kind of were the five main points. Now, granted, in the, in the immediate time frame of the Reformation, they didn't just sit down and write out the five solas in a nice, like, short list and say, you know, here's our thing. It, it was a lot more messy than that in some ways, right? I mean, Martin Luther's 95 Theses really dealt mostly with indulgences. That was his main issue initially. Now, that, that issue really connects to, like, pretty much all these solas as well, um, but as time went on, those kind of got more put together as, okay, if, as we read through the reformers and what they're writing, these are, these, this summarizes what their arguments were. And I say reformers, I don't mean to elevate them above scripture. But the, the reformers were intentionally going back to the Bible in a renewed way and saying, okay, well, the church is telling us this, but this is what the Bible says. What are we supposed to do? Right? And you remember we talked in our first session, Roman Catholicism says, word of God tradition, magisterium are all equal. Well, the problem is they don't all say the same thing. And so these reformers are saying, well, the Bible is from God. We know that. So we're going to start there. And the, so if, if what you're saying doesn't line up with the Bible, you need to explain that to us. Where are you getting that from in the Bible, right? 
Um, but anyway, so the five solos would be one way to um, summarize kind of what we're talking about. This highlights what the differences are. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why I'm pointing this out in just a second. But just to summarize them, we have sola scriptura, our scripture alone. So these are the solas meaning alone, right? Um, so the ultimate authority is scripture. It's not scripture plus tradition. Christ alone. It is Christ's work that is ultimate and sufficient. In other words, it needs nothing else added to it in order to be able to bring about salvation and our relationship to God. It isn't Christ plus anything else, whether it's our own merits, whether it's the merits of the saints, whether it's uh, the merits that Mary has accrued. Um, grace alone. Salvation is by God's grace alone. Nothing we can do can merit salvation. Because why? What's grace? What's, what does grace mean? It's unmerited by definition, right? It's a gift. And so by definition, if it's grace alone, we can't merit salvation or add anything to it or work for it. Um, faith alone, justification is by faith alone. We do not receive God's grace by works, but by faith. In other words, it's not believe and then do these things. Um, it is faith alone that merits justification. And the moment that we truly believe on what the Lord Jesus Christ did and who he is, we are imputed with righteousness at that moment, right? Um, the glory of God alone. Everything is for the glory of God alone. Um, not, God's not going to share his glory with another, right? He's not going to share his glory with Mary, as wonderful of a woman as she is. Uh, he's not going to share his glory with the saints, um, as much as some of them may truly have been very good examples of godliness. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going. So, so we've looked at scripture alone. That's the line of demarcation where the trajectory from all the other issues flows. That's why we started with that. Um, and so I already mentioned a little bit about that. Last week we talked about uh, transubstantiation and the mass. And we saw that it really, in the, in the way the Roman Catholic Church handles that, there is a denial of the sufficiency of Christ. So there is an attack on Christ alone. It's not Christ alone. It's Christ and then the representation of Christ's sacrifice over and over and over again. In other words, his once for all death was not really once for all in the sense that it has to be, he has to be brought down, represented in sacrifice to God, right? Um, it's idolatrous in that worship is given to the elements because why? Because, well, if Christ is physically in the elements, then that's the king walking among us, but it's still the elements, it's very obviously not Christ, right? Um, okay, so today we're going to talk about Roman Catholic teaching on Mary and the saints. Um, turn to, go ahead and turn to Luke 1. We're going to start there. The fact that there's a divergence on this issue is not super surprising, given the fact that when you depart from Scripture alone, you end up with different differences. And the reason I point that out is because these issues with Mary are very, very heavily um, coming out of the magisterium and tradition, not out of the scriptures. They do point to a few passages of scripture, but a very just prima facie reading of these passages is very obvious that they do not, there's no way you can interpret them the way they want to interpret them, unless you add, well, this is true because this is what we say is true. Um, so we're, we're going to see that. But what we're going to see really, and what I'm going to focus on is when these, the issue with Mary and the saints, you might think, well, it's just, maybe it's weird, but is it really a big deal, right? If you're a Protestant, you might be tempted to think that. But no, it is a very big deal because as we go through this, you're going to see it ends up being a denial, repudiation, attack on Christ alone, the sufficiency of Christ and his merit and his sacrifice and the glory of God alone. 
both those issues, now we could say it also touches on the other solas, but those two solas I really want to point to as this is why this is a big deal. We talk about Mary and the saints. This isn't just kind of a like, well, you know, you, you know, we kind of hold Paul up and say what a wonderful example he is and you hold Mary up and say, no, this is very different than just saying someone's a good example. That's not what's being said here. And so we want to see that it, it really detracts from Christ alone, the glory of God alone. And I would also say certainly the grace of God alone, because we're going to see that uh, part of the claim is we really, we need the merits of the saints uh, to count for us if we're going to get out of purgatory anytime soon, is the Catholic view. Um, unless you are a saint, in which case you went straight to heaven. But that's what makes someone a saint. They went straight to heaven. They didn't go to purgatory. So we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, I will tell you right up front, most of our time is going to be spent on the issue of uh, who Mary is. And very little bit of time is going to be spent on the saints. Part of that is because uh, the saints issue is going to come back up when we look later on uh, justification next week. And, um, and then if we need to, we're going to readdress it by going more in depth on the issue of indulgences in the last week. But it depends on what, what gets covered in the justification section as to how that, my point is it'll get covered more in depth. But I am going to say something because it fits in the same area. Just like what's happening with Mary, what's happening with the saints, both of those are attacking Christ alone, glory of God alone. Grace alone, okay? All right. So let's look at Mary. I want to point out some things where we actually do agree with the Roman Catholic Church. We need to acknowledge that um, because sometimes there can be a knee-jerk reaction to error, right? It's easy to do that. As a parent, you can rec- you've probably done that many times, right? Kids do something, and the knee-jerk reaction is to go so far to the opposite that it, you actually went further than you needed to. Um, and so some, some, I think, Protestants... Uh, have it in their mind that, like, we just can't really talk about Mary, we can't think anything uh, good about Mary, um, we can't praise Mary in the sense that we say, hey, she's a good example of godliness. I don't mean praise in the um, veneration sense that the Roman Catholics use it. Um, so there's a couple things I'll point out here. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 38. So Luke chapter 1, verse 38, this is where uh, Mary's hearing from the angel, <clears throat> and this is how she responds when she's told she's going to bear Uh, a son. She's going to bear Jesus. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So sorry, I kind of skipped ahead there, but my point in this one is actually letter D on yours. So I went all the way to the end here, but let me just point this out. Uh, Mary is in fact an example of godliness and trusting the Lord. I mean, she she has this earth-shattering message for her from this angel, and what's her response? It is one of trust, right? Uh, what you said is going to come to pass. I'm your servant, Lord, right? Um, if you re- kept reading through the Magnificat, her prayer, you see that she is in a line of godly women that have went before her. You can think of, um, what's her name? Is it Hannah in Samuel? Right, very similar type thing going on with Hannah, who would be an example of godliness in uh, 1 Samuel. Um, we see Mary doing a similar thing. My soul magnifies the Lord, verse 46 says, and my spirit rejoices in God, God my Savior. That's going to be pretty important. Later, we'll come back to that God my Savior statement. Um, let me back up a little bit here and point out some other things. Um, the fact that we have, uh, the virgin conception of Jesus in her womb. Um, so Luke, uh, one, did I have 37? Is that what I said? Or 27. Um, you can see it there to, a, uh, the, the angel appears to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And so the virgin's name was Mary. And then he goes on and says, you're going to bear a son as a virgin, um, she, letter B, she is the fulfillment of prophecies. So Genesis 3.15, there's first prophetic utterance about the idea that there's going to be a one who's going to be born of woman, right? Who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so obviously, as you go through the storyline, Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, Mary is the 
physical woman, right, that bears the son who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Um, so we see that Isaiah also gives us prophecy about Mary. Um, and very obviously, I mean, I've been saying this the whole time, but we would also agree that she is the uh, mother of Jesus, right? She gives birth to Jesus. Um, now, she doesn't bring the Son of God into existence. The Son of God has eternally existed. But in terms of Jesus, God incarnate, the Son of God incarnate, she is the mother of Jesus. That is true. So we don't want to denigrate Mary. We don't want to overlook her as an example, right, even for us. Um, we, we want to learn from her godliness. We want to uh, be thankful that God uh, used her just as much as we'd be thankful that he used other believers throughout time, space, and history that are recorded in scripture. And some that even if you think of the reformers, we're thankful to God that he used them. Um, I mean, some people end up venerating and worshiping them because yeah, we, we don't want to do that either, right? That's not, that's not the direction to go. So now let's talk about some of the problems here with the Roman. Well, first of all, I'm going to present some of the Roman Catholic teaching on Mary and responses to it. But um, the ones I'm presenting are the problem, the, the ones we have problems with, okay? Not, not all of these are equally as problematic. They're all problematic, though, because they're not based in Scripture. So it's not Scripture alone. That's, that's why they're, and, and so it's problematic if it's not true. To require belief in it is a huge problem, Right? But what we're going to see is some of the major issues are really going to get to this idea that she is um, a co-mediator and things like that, right? So we need to talk about those issues. But I want to go through and just give you at least an overview on some of the big issues. So, um, okay, so I have a bunch of quotes for you. What I try to do is give you, you know, at least one quote from a Catholic um, document and then one from the Bible. Uh, why, why go to great lengths to do this? Well, because the Roman Catholic Church is, um, it's not, it's, it's important to read it from their official documents because that is on par with scripture. This isn't just like my pastor wrote a blog on his view on this. Because if, if you were going to critique a church in the Protestant denomination like that, we could say, well, your pastor's wrong. Let me show you from scripture where they're wrong. But it doesn't really matter what your pastor says. What do you think? Let's talk, I'm talking to you. Let me try to help you. But in the Roman Catholic Church, what we're saying is this is on par with scripture. So we, ha we have a very definitive document we can point to and say, you can't just tell me you can tell me you don't believe this, and I think there are people in the Catholic Church that, that do that. But the point is, that really doesn't fit your system. So in one sense, you can't tell me this isn't what, where things are going, right? And part of that is to say, look, don't keep clinging to Roman Catholicism if you're telling me you deny these things. Because they're saying you have to believe these things. So if you don't believe it, then leave, right? Um, so anyway, so that's why I'm going to point out stuff from them, because these are their authoritative documents. Um, so let's talk about the Immaculate Conception of Mary. This does not refer to Jesus being virgin conceived. This refers to Mary being conceived without sin, without original sin in her being conceived as a baby. Okay? Um, this was uh, first officially declared, although it had been declared earlier, much earlier in this, but it, it becomes official in this encyclical in 1854 by Pope Pius IX. Um, the Pope proclaimed the most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. Okay, so to be, uh, we, we always want to treat our opponents fairly, right? You should treat people the way you want to be treated. So I hope you picked up in that. They are saying it's by the merits of Jesus. Okay. The problem is, it's still a lie. She was not immaculately conceived. She was not free from original sin. 
Nowhere in Scripture do we read anything close to that. Um, <clears throat> the problem is tradition is clashing with Scripture here. Uh, Romans, I give you Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience, so that's referring to who? Who's that one man? Adam, right? So it's by this one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, who are we talking about there? Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now the point I want to focus on here is if you're in Adam, according to Romans 5, right? Um, by his disobedience, you are made a sinner. This is one of the places we go to for this idea of um, original sin, we might say, right? That, that every human being born and is born in sin. Um, so we recognize that every human being is born with sin. Now, why not Jesus? Well, Jesus were specifically told was conceived of the Holy, by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. But it's almost like what the Roman Catholic Church is trying to say is, well, the same thing basically happened for Mary. The problem is the Bible absolutely does not say that. There is no reason to believe that. Right? It, so, so they may say, well, you can't believe this about Jesus if you're not believe about Mary. Well, I can because the Bible gives me warrant to believe it. The Bible says that's what happened with Jesus. It does not say that's what happened with Mary. So there is a distinction here. Um, so they would say because she was born without the stain of sin, this idea of original sin, she then is uh, also ends up living a sinless life. So not only is she conceived without sin, she goes on to leave, live a sinless life. Um, it's interesting too, I don't know if I'm going to say this at any other point, so I'll just mention it here. Uh, in their documents, they, they, at least one of the documents, one of the popes makes a connection between Mary and Eve. So you kind of have, what they're trying to do is this idea that just like in Adam, you know, we all fall in the, and then we have this kind of second Adam, we have Christ. It's like we have, well, Eve, she fell, and Mary is like the second Eve kind of. They don't use exactly that language, but that's basically what they're trying to say. Um, again, zero warrant for that in scripture. What you have warrant for is there will be a savior, one who comes who's born of a woman. That's true. And Galatians says in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son born of a woman. That is true. But Eve is not some representative head and Mary's not some sort of representative head of the human race. Okay, so sinlessness of Mary, uh, Roman Catholic catechism here. Um, if you, you can go look it up online, these numbers that I give you in either the footnotes or the little brackets, those are the... Um, I don't know if they're paragraphs or just sections or how they, I don't know how they would define them because it seems to me like some of them are more than a paragraph. But point is, you can go look for those numbers and find it. It's very hard to search, by the way. Um, I went to the, um, the Vatican's website, or I think it was the Vatican's website. It's very complicated. You can't just do an easy search of the whole thing. Anyway, um, I'm sure you can somewhere. Some of you more technical people can figure that out maybe. Um, so um, by the grace of God, Mary remained free of every personal sin her whole life long. It's Roman Catholic Catechism uh, number 493. Uh, Pope Pius XII in a 1943 encyclical, uh, the English title being The Mystical Body of Christ. I don't really do Latin, so we'll leave it at that. Um, says she, the second Eve, so here it is, the second Eve, free from all sin, original and personal, or sorry, or pers personal. So original referring to what we just talked about through the Immaculate Conception. Personal meaning she didn't actually commit any sins either. Right? So she was sinless. Um, now, what is the problem with that view? It is contrary to Scripture, right? Romans 3.23 says what? All have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now again, I think the Roman Catholic response typically is, well, you don't say that. that obviously, that's not literal. 
because Jesus never sinned. Again, Jesus and Mary are two different people in redemptive history, right? There, and scripture gives you zero warrant to say this doesn't apply to Mary. It does give you warrant to say this doesn't apply to Jesus. Just read the gospels, right? Um, uh, let's see, so Romans 3.23, we go back to Romans 3, verses 10 through 11. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we do what? We deceive ourselves, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man, obviously, or woman, right, on earth who does good and never sins. Okay, now, you're still in Luke, I hope. Maybe not. You can be. You can be if you choose to be right now. Time is limited. So Luke 1, 46 and 47, in the Magnificat, Mary said, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So um, she refers to God, my Savior, right? Now, the Roman Catholics do have an answer for this. Their answer is, well, Savior can mean different things. It doesn't have to mean you committed sin and you were saved out of your sin. It could mean you were saved preemptively from entering into sin, period. Now, we, we have to say the word salvation does have, it can have a broader meaning than just saved from the sins you committed. That's true. But it takes a lot to think that that's what's happening in this passage. Like, nowhere else do you see someone, you know, referring to themselves in this way as the servant of the Lord and, and, and meaning you preserve me from ever sinning. You, you see what I'm saying? If they're referring to some sort of physical deliverance, it's, it's, it's more obvious. That's not what's happening here. No, no, my, my savior. And again, th- this fits, um, again, like Hannah back in first Samuel, S- similar idea, right? Um, so we have this idea that, um, that Mary needed a savior. In fact, she says, God is my savior. Um, Let's see, we already talked about the response to Romans 3.23. I will point out the Catholics point to uh, Luke 1.28, where it says, the angel came and said to her, greetings, O favored one. And they say, listen, hail Mary, full of grace. Um, That's where they get that from, right? So full of grace, they would say, is actually a name for her. This isn't just saying you've received God's gracious blessing. It is saying, no, intrinsic within you is grace. Like it is part of who you are um, from the very start. You are, you, have, you are immaculately conceived and you do not, did not sin through your whole life. The point is, show me in scripture where we have any reason to think Romans 3.23 does not apply to Mary and you can't find it, right? That's the point. Um, okay, Mary as a perpetual virgin. This one I would say is not as big of a deal in the salvation sense, but it's still a big deal in that it denies scripture's teaching. Right? So scripture teaches very clearly something different, and then the Roman Catholic teaching says this. Um, so, let's see, Roman Catholic Catechism, uh, and I don't know, I'm not really looking at your handout to see every, sometimes I give you different quotes maybe than what I'm going to read, but um, the deepening of faith in the virginal motherhood led the church to confess Mary's real and perpetual virginity. So that's their claim to perpetual virginity. Um which again, just highlights their, their source issue. They're coming to these different sources. Uh, look at Luke 2, 7. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her, what? Firstborn, Firstborn son. 
Um, now, what does that imply? I mean, I'm granted, I'm, I'm going to tell you, the, the words don't actually say, and, and thus she, was, she did not remain a perpetual virgin. I can, I can grant you that. But what does firstborn imply, like in just a straightforward reading of the text? Yeah, that there would be other su children, right? Um, the qualifier doesn't really make a ton of sense without that reality. Uh, Matthew one twenty five hints at this as well. So Matthew one twenty five, Joseph is uh, visited by the angel as well because he's engaged to Mary, and uh, he needs to be aware of what's going on. And it says in Matthew one twenty five, when Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took, uh, he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Okay, in that passage, what points to the idea that it is, um, it's, it would not be a straightforward reading to think that Mary remained a perpetual virgin? Is there a word in there, or maybe a preposition? Until. Okay, so you understand the way prepositions work, right? Um, now, again... That's, it doesn't have to mean, I, I get that. There may be rare instances where we use the word until in a different way. That could be true, right? Like you could say, look, I'm going to be, um, you know, a Cubs fan until they win the World Series. That'd be a little bit of an unusual usage, right? But we could, we'd understand that that doesn't necessarily mean you stop being it once, you be, once they win the World Series. That, I mean, it takes some gymnastics to read until that way in this passage. And then, by the way, I bring that out because I think that, has been one of the responses that sometimes gets used. Yeah. But it tortures the whole point of that text. Right. Yes. Because it would have been instead. Right. And he kept her a virgin. Yes. Period. Right. That's right. Like if, if, if your point is to show that she remained a virgin, then yeah, that this is not the way to express it. No, don't put yeah. something else on that. That's right. Um, so other, other passages, um, <clears throat> let's see, Matthew twelve forty six. So Jesus is speaking to a crowd, and it says, while he was still speaking to the people, so Jesus is talking here, he's still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Brothers here is not being used in the typical church language of, I have brothers that I'm not physically related to, because his disciples and other people are with him. So it wouldn't make sense to be, to be talking about them. His brothers stood outside. One group of his brothers stood outside, but he had some other brothers who were standing next to him. But I'm going to point out that these are brothers out here too. That, that doesn't make any sense unless we're talking about their, no, the, these are physically his brothers. That's what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> okay. So again, I, I, you know, when you're talking to, to Roman Catholics, that may be something you might point out to them. I think if you're going to point that out, it's probably more helpful in the conversation about authority. Is your authority scripture alone, or is it scripture plus popes and councils and tradition? And help them see that, look, if, if the tradition is flat out not lining up with what the Bible says, you kind of have to choose, right? And just try to, try to help them see that that's really probably the issue that's being highlighted there. Okay, now we'll deal with the bodily assumption of Mary. This is the idea that she didn't die. She um, was physically, so spiritual, spiritual and bodily, brought up into heaven. Um, this was declared to be fact by Pope Pius XII in 1950. In the most bountiful God was the name of the encyclical. I think it was an encyclical. Um, and, uh, and he is speaking ex cathedra here, which um, 
we haven't really talked too much about that, but this is, in other words, this is a very, very, very official Catholic teaching. Yeah. I'm sorry, Ben. Um, going back to perpetual uh, virginity. Yeah. Mary, do the Roman Catholics debate James's brotherhood with, with Christ? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, does anyone... Or Jude. Jude, Jude, look at mm -hmm. Jude. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I didn't research that. Does anyone know? We have some people who have Roman Catholic backgrounds, I think, in here. So, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. And yeah. I guess to add to that, it's like, how, how could they dispute it if there was another uh, uh, person who was the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of James and wrote the book right. of Jude? I mean, like, that's, you know, pretty clear that, you know, that this person wrote this text and, yeah. you know, it's in there. Yeah. It's in the Bible, so, like, it, we can't, you know, explain away this person didn't exist. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. Yeah. So that's a good question. I don't know how they respond to that. I'm not sure. I didn't look at it. Um, okay. Bodily assumption of Mary. Uh, so let's see. He writes, this is uh, Pope Pius XII. Finally, the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, so it's the end of her life, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things. We're going to get to that in a little while. So that she might be more fully conformed to her son, the Lord of lords and conqueror of sin and death. So this doctrine is closely tied to her immaculate conception and her sinless life. I think the idea being, since that is true of her, she has no reason to die. So she is caught up into heaven um, without going through death. Uh, now, this, again, there's no real Bible verses that support this, right? We don't, we don't have any scripture that supports this. What we do have are passages like 2 Corinthians 5, right? So 2 Corinthians 5 talks about what? He talks about your, uh, your tent, your body being like a tent, and, and so we have this earthly dwelling, and we're going to die, right? There's going to come a time where we're going to die. Um, let's see. So yeah, we have this desire not, not to be unclothed. In other words, we're not saying we're anti-physical body, but that we would be, this is verse 4, by the way, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Um, and he goes on, says, we're in good courage, verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Um, verse 8, we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So the point is, this is really what the New Testament teaches on what, where are believers going until the return of Christ. We're going to die like everybody else, except for our spirit will go to be with the Lord. Not our body, our spirit, Right? Um, so whether we are away at home, we make it our aim to please him. So that is our goal. And then it's pretty obvious from places like 1 Corinthians 15 and other places, Jesus is going to come back and he will raise the bodies of his people, right? Now, the, the unbelievers will also be raised eventually for judgment. That's true too, right? Um, but the point is we have no reason to think something different is going on with Mary compared to what we see in passages like 2 Corinthians 5, that there is death and then there is going to be the spirit with the Lord, the body in the ground, or wherever it is, until Jesus returns. Um, okay, Mary as mediator. So we run into some more significant issues here. So Mary as mediator. Uh, so my abbreviation is, that is my abbreviation for the uh, Catholic Church's catechism. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep, Catholic Church's catechism. So, um, the, 
uh, there's an encyclical called, so it's another letter by a pope, official letter by the pope, uh, Redemptoris Mater, the Mother Redeemer, by Pope John Paul II. Um, he's talking about in John chapter 2. So, so I'm gonna, there's, there's, um, there's a couple passages that, that they try to use to highlight this. One of them is John chapter 2. So what's happening in John chapter 2? Do you guys remember? Yeah, the water into wine uh, situation. And so in referring to that, this is what he writes. The Pope writes, uh, there is a mediation. Mary places herself between her son and mankind in the reality of their wants, needs, and sufferings. She puts herself in the middle, which is what? That's what a mediator does, right? Um, that is to say she acts as a mediatrix. So that's just the feminine version of media, media, uh, mediator. Um, not as an outsider, but in her position as mother. So what they're saying is, look, she, she's, she's got a special role because as Jesus' mom, she can mediate for us between us and Jesus, right? She, she really gets us, to take a line from a recent ad campaign, right? She gets us and she, she's gonna present our needs to, to Jesus for us because she can do that. She, we need someone to go between us and Jesus. She knows that, that as such, she can point out to her son the needs of mankind. And in fact, she has the right to do so. Her mediation is thus in the nature of intercession. Mary intercedes for mankind. Now, to be fair, uh, he does go on to say that all of her mediation is totally based on the work of Jesus. So, so, don't, so it'd be unfair to say, oh, well, you guys think Mary's a mediator um, in exactly the same way Jesus is. Well, they would still say that Mary's mediation is dependent on Jesus' person and work. So Jesus still had to die for us to bring redemption. But, but, she, but the point is she, she really is necessary in their understanding. You see what I'm saying? There's this necessary nature to her mediation. Um, she, she's got to go between us and the son. Uh, especially, I mean, so I, I mentioned that to be fair, but he does use the word mediatrix. She's a, so very clearly calling her a mediator. Um, earlier, he writes this about her, um, Jesus uh, at the crucifixion. It's a, he says this about her suffering. So she suffers at the crucifixion too in a redemptive kind of way. Uh, through faith, the mother, Mary, shares in the death of her son in his redeeming death. So again, to be fair, they're not saying that, you know, she dies in our place, but there's a pretty tight connection between the redemptive death of Jesus and the redemptive sufferings of Mary at the cross in Roman Catholic theology. Um, Roman Catholic Catechism, um, number 969, uh, talks about uh, she's taken up to heaven. She did not lay aside this saving office. So he uses the word saving office. But by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church under the titles of advocate, helper, benefactress, and mediatrix. What, what is mediatrix? Yes, yeah, so it's the feminine version of mediator, apparently. Maybe in Latin. It's probably a Latin thing. Does anyone know Latin? That's probably what it is. Um. <clears throat> So, now to be fair again, I want to be fair here. Catholics do differ in how they interpret this. So, not every Catholic you talk to is going to going to full court press this as man, you know, this is so necessary. We got to There are some who do and there are some who are more minimalistic and they kind of back off of this a little bit in the way they're going to communicate it to you. But the point is when you read it from these official documents, you can back off of it if you want, but you're becoming a little bit less of a Catholic, I would say. I mean, right? I mean, if the Pope is saying this, um <laughs> 
That's kind of hard. Although, interestingly, I did read, uh, yeah, I read one Catholic um, uh, apologist website where the guy's talking about how some popes are, st- are, are starting to kind of get away from it and saying this maybe this co-mediatrix, because they, they refer to her as co-mediatrix, is not maybe the most helpful term. It could be confusing. Um, and, he, and so he, his, he says, uh, and he says it's, it's fallen into, uh, I don't know how you say that, it's some legal word for not being used a lot. Um, if, you, if you have popes saying, I don't think we should use this expression, his point is maybe, maybe we shouldn't use it quite as much. Now that could change with a future pope who might have a different opinion and might revive it. Okay, so again, I mean, I understand how you could say, you know, churches, and as Protestants, we can say church councils have gotten things wrong, and just because the church, you know, kept going down this track, we can say Reformation, no, this is wrong. Show me in Scripture. But don't take my Protestantism into Roman Catholic. Like, you can't do that with Roman Catholicism. It doesn't work in the system. Now, again, they tell you it works. I just, don't, I fail to see how it works, right? Um, okay, so, um, and they also talk about how co just means with sometimes. But again, I mean, when you read the Pope's statements, it's pretty clear. The point is, though, either way, whether they're a minimalist or a maximalist on their view of this, uh, either way, what does it do to Mary? It elevates her to a, a, a status and a position that does subtract from the glory of God alone. I think that's our Protestant problem with this. Uh, no matter how they're taking it, it does detract from the glory of God alone. And it does detract somehow from Jesus work as the only and full sufficient mediator for human humanity. First um, Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now they do talk about that verse, it's not like they don't have, it's in their Bible too, but I, I mean, how do you get around that? I, I mean, is, is it, are, we to, are we to understand, well, you know, there's one mediator between man and God, that's Jesus. But we need a mediator between us and Jesus, and that is Mary. It's not, it's not there. It's kind of in the blank spaces. I mean, I don't know how else you explain that. that that's, I'm not saying, I'm, not, I'm, trying, I'm kind of putting words in their mouth, but as I'm trying to think through how do you explain that, that's the best I can come up with. Um, let's see. Um, <clears throat> so, so anyway, to back up a minute, though, I did say something about Canaan, didn't I, about the, the water into wine situation. So in John 2, they point to this and they say, um, that when Mary asked him to, to do something, uh, he bas- th- this shows that she intercedes for a need and Jesus comes and he does what she asks. Therefore, she's a, she is a mediator, right? She was able to get Jesus to do what needed to happen. Um, but when you read that and Jesus says, woman, my hour has not come. What is he saying? He's being courteous, but in using the term woman, he is distinguishing himself. For, he doesn't even call her mom. I don't think he's being rude, but I think he is distancing himself and saying, you know, my hour has not come. What does that term mean? In the Gospels, we're referring to the timing that the Father has set for my glorification and redemptive work has not come in full. So he's say, basically, he's saying, look, I'm not going to do whatever you ask. I'm doing what the Father asks. And you see that over and over again. I've come not to even do my own will in, in my humanity, but the will of the Father, which yes, the, the will of the Son is the same in his deity. That's true, right? And his humanity fully is obeying what, what the Father wants. So we have God uh, incarnate here doing what the Father wants, not what Mary wants. I think that's the point when you read that in this context is it, it's not that Mary is uh, a interceding, controlling factor in Jesus's ministry. It's that Jesus is going to do exactly what the Father has said. Later in the Gospels, um, uh, Mark 3, so you can look at Mark 3 if you want. Um, Mark 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 20 I got to wrap this up. So there, there's a crowd that gathers 
and his family hears that Jesus is doing all this ministry. And it says his family, verse 20, went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. If you go down to verse 31, and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, uh, they sent to him and called him. The point is, um, if she's a mediatrix and she's able to go, I mean, she seems to be at odds with what Jesus is trying to do here, right? I mean, she's, she's part of his family and they're basically saying, look, Jesus, I don't know if you're doing the, can we talk to you for a second? Like, you're kind of out of your mind. Let's talk about this. If she's really the mediatrix, we got a problem with this passage, I think. Um, Luke eleven twenty seven through 28, a woman raised her voice in a crowd and said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. So she's trying to say, look, you're such, look at this wonderful, the Messiah, he's wonderful. How blessed must your mom be? And what does Jesus say? But he said to her, so, but we have a contrast right out of the gate. He said to her, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Jesus specifically is elevating, not Mary as a, me, as a mediator or anything like that, right? He's saying your connection is really through obeying the word of God. You want to be rightly connected to God through me, his son, believe what God has said in his word. He doesn't say, go talk to my mom. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Uh, sorry, is the mother of the church is the point here. Um, while he's on the cross, they would say in John 19, when he looks at the beloved disciple John and he says, and his mom, and he says, look, you know, uh, you know woman, behold your your son, son, behold your, your mother. Uh, they say, look, John is standing in for the whole church. And so Jesus is conveying on Mary that she is the mother of the church. It takes a lot of gymnastics to read that into that passage, right? I mean, the whole narrative is focused on who? Jesus and his passion, his death for us. Um, now, yeah, I think Jesus is taking care of his mom there. I think you see a very practical thing happening and you see love being displayed, but this is not putting on Mary some new role as mother of the church. The other place they would go to is Acts chapter one. And they would say in Acts chapter one, you have Pentecost is about to take place. And it points out that all the disciples are gathered together. They're praying just as Jesus had commanded them, by the way. So it's not that Mary like instigates this, but the way they say it, it kind of sounds like this. Um, and it does mention that Mary is there praying with the rest of the disciples. And from that, they say, just as she was the central aspect of his birth, which would bring about the church, she is the central aspect of, him, of God sending the Spirit through her prayers, which would give birth to the church. So, and so they basically say, what's the link? The link is Mary. Mary's the link between the incarnation and Jesus' ministry, between the Spirit being given and his ministry in the church. That is not the link, right? So you see how we're detracting from the glory of God is what we're saying here and from the sufficiency of Christ's work. Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, right? The Roman Catholic Church venerates Mary. You see it in artwork, shrines. Uh, the term queen of heaven, we talked about that earlier. Um, she is, uh, she's the virgin mother God of God, reigns with mother's solicitude over the entire world, just as she is crowned in heavenly blessedness with the glory of a queen. The, the rosary, hail Mary, full of grace and truth, and, uh, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of, the of your womb. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but uh, at the end it says, pray for us sinners uh, now and at the hour of our death. So there's a lot of devotion here to uh, Mary. The catechism says the church's devotion to the blessed Mary is intrinsic to Christian worship. The liturgical feast dedicated to the mother of God and Marian prayer, such as the rosary, um, 
uh, which is an epitome of the whole gospel. Um, now, they will defend and say that they don't worship Mary. Um, they, in fact, they do say it differs essentially from the adoration which is given to the incarnate word and equally to the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, so, again, we have to be fair. They're, they're, they're not, they would say they're not outright saying that we worship Mary. But the point is, prayers to Mary, Queen of Heaven, where are you getting these things in the Bible? Where is your warrant? I mean, if we're talking about this type of stuff, this is, I, as a Protestant, I have to say idolatrous. You can tell me all day long it's not idolatrous, but I don't know how else to understand it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think, I think you're uh, right on that. It's idolatrous. And actually, this Queen of Heaven role thing, it actually didn't come from, uh, uh, from like, Mary. It, it came from another uh, lady named uh, Tame, or uh, uh, Semiramis. Mm. Uh, about all the way back in, uh, uh, in, in Genesis, uh, back at the Tower of Babel. And, the, and people were worshiping this, this, quote, goddess who supposedly gave birth to another son named Tammuz. And in Jeremiah, it talks about that this Tammuz person who was birthed by the queen of heaven and and the israel the israelites the the jews worshiped them before they were carried off into captivity yeah. in babylon yeah so if anything we have we have uh bad uh precedents for calling her Mar queen of queen of heaven yeah. all right well let's yeah but they also try to they've created another word for the for the term worship Yes, yeah, and, and that's, what they, that's what I'm saying, to be fair. They do, they say, well, there's two different terms for worship, and this one is more of a service devotion oriented. But again, we're praying to her. We're saying it's intrinsic, or is the word intrinsic? Something like that to Christian worship. In other words, it's kind of just built into it. Um, again, I, I, to me, it just sounds like word games, right? So, um, so again, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to be praying to someone besides Father, Son, or Spirit, um, Man, I hope you have some biblical warrant for that, right? And you don't. That's the reality. Um, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. So this issue really, that's what I'm saying by, by quoting that is, the issue with Mary is sola Christus, right? And the glory of God alone. Christ alone, the glory of God alone. That is the issue. Now, we don't really have time to get into the saints, and I really didn't intend to have much time to get into them. Here's all I'm going to say about the saints for now. And like I said, we'll probably come back to this when we talk more about indulgences, is... Um, these are individuals who had so much merit in terms of their obedience and godliness to God, uh, towards God, that when they died, they went straight to heaven. There's no purgatory, which is, that's a whole other doctrine we probably need to talk about, right? They don't, they, they go straight there. Their good works that are in excess of what they needed to get into heaven. So, right, we got some other sola problems with that, right? Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. I mean, we've got a lot of problems with that. Um, they get put in this treasure, treasury, that the church has access to and then can distribute their works as needed to help get people out of purgatory, help people uh, avoid temporal, temporal punishment, right? Um, so again, you see the issue is we're saying Christ alone was not sufficient, right? Yeah, yeah, Christ, he's sufficient because he opens up the door and he gets you in there, but you got to have the merits. And if you don't have the merits, the saints got the merits for you. That, that is de facto saying Christ is not sufficient. You can tell me all day long that you say he's sufficient, but he's not sufficient because you've, you've said Jesus plus. And that really is what it's going to boil down to in Roman Catholicism versus, Roman, versus Protestantism. It's Jesus plus, the word of God plus, faith plus. They're going to talk about faith. They're going to talk about grace. They're going to talk about justification. But it's always going to be this plus is going to be the issue. And so you, the solas are where you want to continue to go back to when you're trying to get things straight. 
if you want a summary to do it. Um, so let me just read a couple things here then. R.C. Sproul summarizes it well. A person who believes in justification by faith alone weeps at this notion. This is because Protestants also believe in a treasury of merit, one that is infinite and inexhaustible. But we believe that treasury is filled with the merit of the Son of God alone. The issue in the indulgences controversy is the sufficiency of Christ alone to redeem a person. According to Protestantism, justification happens on the basis of Christ's merit credited to his people. For Rome, so the Catholic Church, we are never fully saved until we have sufficient merit of our own. That's really the difference, right? And that's why the saints are a big deal, and that's why we cover them here with Mary, because we have the same issues going on. Um, so that's what I, I hope you, what you take away from this, because you're not going to remember all these different arguments. That's why I gave you the handout. Maybe it helps as you're thinking it through. But I want you to remember the issue is, is Christ's work sufficient alone, Right? Um, is, is, is he sufficient alone? Is, um, is the glory of God alone, does that allow room for any glory to go to any person besides Christ? No. And so just keep that clear in your head. Greg Allison, to finish us off here, says, Protestants wonder if Christ's merits are indeed infinite as Catholic theology maintains. So they, they would say that. Then what possible benefit could be super added by the deeds and the prayers of Mary and the saints. So you see, it denies glory of God alone, Christ alone. And so we need to, we need to take issue with that. And again, that's, we're not trying to be combative in the sense that we're not just looking for fights for the sake of fighting. But truth and love go together. It's not loving to deny the truth. When the, when the consequences are eternal, it's definitely not loving. And so we, we need to hold to what scripture says, what God has revealed, and correct uh, man-made notions that are at odds with that. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Uh, again, we are humbled because we recognize none of this comes from us. Um, we were not wise in our, in our ability to figure it out. We're not wise or able to design it or carry it out or make the salvation possible. Um, your power alone in sending your son and in uh, planning our redemption in applying it to us. All these are gifts from you and for your glory. So we pray that we'd be humble as we speak the truth in love and that we would be humble in believing what you say above uh, the traditions of men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.